This is an exciting episode. This is an episode about pitching. What is a good pitch? If the end of the day you walk into that meeting and if the investor actually understands what you are trying to go build, that's actually a win. Now, the first thing I am trying to figure out is who is this person? You be surprised how often like people would go, I am attacking a 10 billion dollar market, and that is a terrible terrible place to start because I have no idea who you are. This episode is going to be all the don't. You really have to get to the specifics of what does your company do today or what have you done so far and get to it really fast. I actually disagree with that. The mistake I made when I was fundraising, I would like feel like they were putting me on a spot, but I think the right approach is you are the expert in the room. Nobody here knows this company as well as you do. You should kind of look at it as like a way to tell your story. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Arthi and Sriram show. Uh, we have been told that we need a name for the people watching this show. So <laughs> whether it's the Arthi and Sriramsters or the Arthi Sters or take your pick. We want to hear uh, thoughts and suggestions. But no, we actually got a few people reaching out, just suggesting names. So I was like, wait, what? It's been a couple of weeks since we recorded that episode. And I was like, what are they talking? Oh, yeah, we did want to like put out a community name. Yes. We need, we need about we, that. You know what we need? We need merch, right? We need like hoodies. T-shirts. Uh, uh, if we, I leave it to you, you'll have a WWE belt. Oh yes, uh, we need yeah. a hat. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, so so if any of you watching are interested in partnering with us on merchandising, the name uh, we're open. No, but seriously, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, uh, now we say this at the beginning of every show, and we mean it. It would help us out a lot uh, if you can actually follow us on various platforms. So if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, like and subscribe, hit the little bell icon. If you're watching this or listening to this on Spotify, follow, leave a review or leave a comment, same on Apple Podcasts or where you will listen, uh, or just you know reach out to us uh, and DM us. We love hearing it from you. But those do help uh, given the algorithmic gods of big tech, which may be a separate episode, but no, thank this you. This is so the much. best way people can find the podcast, right? I mean, if you found value here or if you've recommended our podcast to your friends, then the easiest way to get it discovered is to just go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify Podcasts, like leave a review um, and, uh, you know, just follow us on the, the different channels. There we go. Uh, and rtnstream.com. All right, enough plugging. Uh, Arthi, what are we doing today? It's an exciting episode. Yeah, this is an exciting episode. Uh, I also like, I'm excited to hear our perspective because we are at the polar ends of this. Um, this is an episode about pitching. Uh, if you are a founder, if you are a founder of any stage, early stage, you you kind of have an idea, you don't know, or even if you like worked at a company and you've pitched right to your management, your leadership, uh, what does pitching mean? And we are going to focus more on the founder fundraising dynamics of pitching. Um, and uh, I am really curious to get your thoughts and get your views on this, given that you've been on the other side of operating a company, right, for a few years. You've been a venture capitalist. You've also been, before that, a pretty prolific angel investor. Like you've written checks, uh, um, 50, 60 checks now for companies as such. Uh, and so, I want to get your views on pitching. What does it mean to pitch? Mm. And uh, what is a good pitch? And so on and so forth. Yeah, by the way, I think this kind of goes both ways because I think one, uh, you know, Arthi is obviously uh, actually has founded a company 
um, and has pitched dozens of my peers, if not a lot more. Second, obviously, you as an angel investor, I think you play two roles, uh, sometimes a lot more than I do these days. One is actually helping founders prepare for pitches. Yeah. And the yeah. second is obviously you listen to many, many angel uh, uh, pitches, uh, often at much earlier stages than sometimes I do. So uh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. Um, you know, so uh, I guess uh, I wanted to ask you, right? Um, you've been on the venture side of the business. You've had a lot of every week I see you, you know, you'll go off and like listen to a lot of pitches. Founders will go pitch you. Um, what is a good pitch? Let's start there. Um, I think the super pity shot answer is a good pitch is one that invokes curiosity. Uh, and to quote uh, another person uh, who's very good at this, like fear or greed, um, and makes you want to follow up. But I think there's a lot packed in, in there. Uh, the first one I would say is, uh, I was kind of thinking about you know this episode. Uh, I was thinking about like two questions. One is, uh, there's a whole set of people that absolutely do not need this episode, right? Which is, if you have a company where everything is up and to the right, there are millions of people downloading your app or using your LLM model or you know using your project or whatever the case may be, right? Like you don't need this. Like people like me and my peers will come find you. That's the job. So one is if you have a company which is kind of working and it's on fire, uh, it's going great, uh, especially at the early stages. Like you'll find that you don't need this. I always say this out loud because you know people always have these stories of you know founders kind of raise a lot of capital without actually needing to pitch. And you know, often you had an element of either that, something which is really working. The second class of founders who absolutely do not need to pitch is people who had just fantastic track record and a credibility. Uh, so for example, uh, this would obviously never happen, but if Mark Zuckerberg was suddenly to say, hey, you know, I'm going to leave Facebook and I'm going to do a separate company, he would not need to listen to this episode because people would be like, well, he's Mark Zuckerberg. I'm just going to give him any amount of money he wants and we'll see what happens. And so... If you're in either one of these categories, you don't, you know, you probably don't need this episode, but I do think you might need some of this as you kind of get larger and larger rounds of funding. But the reality is for a lot of people, you know, you are not in one of these two categories because you're raising money way, way before uh, something um, is working uh, and you know what is going to happen. And second is you, this might be the first time you're doing a company uh, or, you know, you definitely have a pedigree, but, you know, maybe you haven't founded Meta. So that's one class of things. The second class of things is um, uh, when I've done previous version of this talk, people would go, well, are just revealing secrets. Can't people yeah. game this when they talk to you or your peers next time? It turns out that this is actually really, really hard to game. So what is uh, everything in this episode or every kind of advice that you hear, it is a little bit like, to use a crypto term, proof of work. It is very hard to fake it. It is very hard to fake it for long periods of time or to fake it for somebody who's an investor who's seen a few of these. What is much more common is the other way where you actually have legitimate work, you have a fantastic company, you have you know real credibility, but you fail to actually uh, communicate that. So which I think is way more common. So I just, just, you know, just sort of like that little bit of throat clearing aside, uh, you know, I, I wish like everybody would see this episode because you'd see that, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, somebody uh, learning, say, basketball, at the end of the day, you actually have to you know, get the ball in the basket and be a fantastic player. You can't fake it. And you see a lot of this. It's really, really hard uh, to fake. So uh, with that, I think, you know, maybe, okay, one last thought. Um, if you remember nothing else, uh, I think, you know, from this episode, and somebody asked me uh, this, which is like, what is maybe the 
the best kind of pitches or the worst kind of pitches? What is the most common thing which happens? I really think like if the end of the day you walk into that meeting and if the investor actually understands what you are trying to go build, that's actually a win because you'd be surprised at how often a very common failure mode is you have a founder, but for whatever reason, you actually don't understand what they're trying to build because they're trying to kind of communicate it in this weird, confusing way. So if nothing else, you know, if you're just kind of communicating the thing that you're trying to build, why you're trying to build it, I think it's a win. But sorry, it's a, there's a lot to maybe unpack. There is, a, there is a lot to go unpack here. I also think this is going to be one of those episodes where we are actually going to disagree with each other on a few okay. things. Um, but um, I think generally, I think uh, you're overall, you're right, right? Like uh, you, there are a few people, a few couple cohorts, which this episode may not entirely apply to, although I do think uh, pitching is not just for fundraising. You're going to have to get better at pitching. You're going to do this, you know, when somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, hey, what does your company do? You just have to be really good at it. If you are the founder, the pitch, any sort of pitch is the thing that you're going to be saying over and over and over again. And you will see this like with the the greatest founders. I At some point, I used to work for uh, Reed Hastings. And you would see no matter how senior, how many times you founded a company, the best founders know how to pitch their companies and they are like good at it. Uh, they separate out the ego of it and the power dynamics of it. The Netflix, even by the time I joined, was very successful, right? Like they were, you know, doing streaming, growing really fast. But Reed would kind of set aside the ego of it, the power dynamics of it, and was just really, really good at pitching. And, you know, any networking event, any conference, uh, at that time, it was so early that, you know, he would like be a part of the orientation, like Reed would kind of like do the new employee orientation, he would sit in there and ask people questions and stuff and get to know them. And he was just so good at pitching. And to me, I think um, it kind of taught me this lesson that, you know, pitching is not just about fundraising, right? You're going to have to as a founder of a company, you're going to have to get really, really good at it. This is the lifeline. This is what you're building. And, you know, if all goes well, you're probably going to be building this for a decade, maybe more. And so you are going to have to get better at telling the story of your company, not just for raising money, but for recruiting people, for retaining people, um, for, you know, future state scaling, taking it public, whatever that might be. You are going to have to get better at just telling the story of your business in like a really succinct, you know, interesting way. And to your point, Sriram, it's like at the end of the day, if the thing that you get out of this is like, hey, come in and explain what the company does mm-hmm. and uh, do a really good job of it, that by itself is a net like big win because a lot of founders don't do that. They don't focus on that. Yep. They kind of like try to game it and make it really cool or make it really interesting or funny or you know want to kind of like one up against the investor or play these like really weird power games. But if you're just trying to get the story across and tell them what the company does, that by itself is a big success. I think so. I think so. And I, I think storytelling is such a key part of it. I, I, I was trying to think about one way to maybe attack this topic is what am I trying to do when I'm listening to yeah. a founder? Now, the first yeah. thing, and this may be a whole separate conversation, is the act of pitching. For example, I really hate the classic advice that you only want to talk to VC the moment you're fundraising, you know, which I think is a topic we disagree. We'll get to that <laughs> later. We'll get to that later. But let us yeah. assume in this case, this is the first time you're meeting somebody, uh, it's on a Zoom meeting or it's on person and you have a bunch of slides, kind of the classic canonical VC meeting, which I actually think 
lot of people should find ways to avoid too. But okay, so you're walking in, you and you know, you walk in, the Zoom shows up, the meeting shows up, you project the slides, you introduce yourself. Now, the first thing I am trying to figure out is who is this person? And uh, you think of it as a little bit like a coat hanger. I am trying to figure out like, here are some bases and then I can start hanging things off on right. that coat hanger. So for example, right. the first one is like, who are you? Like, what is your story? Uh, you know, are you a technical co-founder? Are you a business co-founder? Um, and I'm just trying to like, you know, kind of like put that base in there. So, uh, and so the first thing I think the founder should try and communicate very quickly and we can get into how to do it very well is just literally who the founder or founders are. Um, and that is a combination of backstory, you know, where they grew up, what they have done before, what their key accomplishments are. Very, very important. Another thing we should come back to, which is why are you building this part well, yeah. particular thing? But the first thing is that right? you'd be surprised how often like uh, people would go, you know, I am attacking a $10 billion market, and that is a terrible, terrible place to start because I have no idea who you are and I don't know why, you know, you are the person to attack this or why this matters to you. And without that, I don't have sort of a core pillar of what the thing is, which I'm trying to kind of build everything else on. So the first piece I'm trying to figure out is like, who are you? The second piece I think I'm trying to figure out is what is the actual thing that you're trying to build, which is, uh, and uh, by the way, this is not to sell it to me, like literally, what is it? Is it a website? Is it a product? Who are the customers? Just, uh, I'm trying to, you know, often if it is a product, uh, you know, um, I try and picture it visually, which is like, let's say the social media app. I'm like, okay, what is the thing you're trying to do? If it's an infrastructure company, how does it fit into an infrastructure stack? But literally, you know, what is the thing that you are trying to build? Uh, now, I might need a little bit of homework if it's a space which I'm not familiar with. Um, uh, uh, you know, maybe first of all, you shouldn't talk to me, but I, uh, you might need to explain the space, but mostly I'm trying to go figure out what the thing you're trying to build. Now, these are very, very important to get across, I think, very quickly. Uh, ideally, in the first uh, <coughs> uh, it's me, um, five to seven minutes of a meeting. Um, right. And often, what you find is people try and get across very different things, which is a mistake. For example, they try and get across, this is a $100 billion market. And uh, and a lot of reasons they do this because they think that's what gets VCs excited or that's what someone has coached them to do. And the reason that is not interesting is most startups don't fail because they can't get to a $100 billion market. If it's a $100 billion market, the any good venture capitalist probably has a rough sense of what this thing is about. Uh, most startups fail because the founders are not equipped to tackle that market or they can't even get their product out the door uh, in most cases. So that's kind of my tip number one, which is right out the gate, try and communicate uh, who you are and the way I would do it and I try and you know for anyone who's kind of ever kind of had a pitch with me you'd see me doing this which is like I tell tell people my story first I tell tell people like why am I listening to you who am I um, and uh, oh, because my hope is like then I can sort of understand you and I can understand yeah. who you are what your life journey is why you're here and yeah. you can go from there yeah I get that um, I think from a founder standpoint, right? Like that's like, yeah, I, I can talk about being an angel investor, which is a, a lot of what I do right now. Um, I haven't been a founder in a few years, but I have like decent experience just fundraising, pitching, all of that. From a founder experience standpoint, right? One, you have to look at the stage of the business you're in. Um, now, you know, a lot of founders uh, try and fundraise for pre-seed or even like when they have like kind of an idea and they want to fundraise first and then get it off the ground that pitch is going to be very different than like having a product, having something real 
and you're going to have to figure out which stage, what are you trying to do, where does it apply? I sometimes see founders who will take a pre-seed kind of stage, like a conceptual kind of a problem, but fundraise and pitch as if it was like already set in stone, as if they have customers. And it halfway through, you realize what's going on and it kind of falls apart uh, because it, they're not trying to be disingenuous or dishonest, but it starts out being like, we figured this out, we've solved this problem, here is a problem and all of that. And then you kind of ask for like basic traction or whatever. They're like, no, no, no. Like we just, you know, we have a wait list of like 20 people. And you're like, no, that that doesn't work because you're, you have to figure out which stage you're in. And it's totally fine to go raise at the pre-seed stage if that's kind of what you're trying to do. But you have to be upfront about it on what you've learned and what you still have to go unlock and um, discover and build out. Let's say you're in the other camp, which is like you have a few customers, you want to go fundraise. The fundraising meeting is a lot of pressure, right? Especially if you're a first-time founder, first-time fundraiser, because, you know, as you do this over time, you get, like, really good at it or you get, like, more used to it. But it is 45 minutes to an hour. You kind of, if you're doing it in person, it's even worse because there's all this dynamics of, like, walking into a VC office Mm -hmm. or walking into this, like, investor's office, waiting at this reception. I hated that whole thing. Like, it's like... You're, the, it's it's all fa- and the power dynamics are so shifted because whether you like it or not, um, and Shriram, you might not see it this way, but you are going to go ask for money from somebody else. Mm-hmm. The there is no way to go sugarcoat this, but you always feel like as a founder, you are at like the lower end of the spectrum compared to the investor, even though this is not really their money, right? Um, you kind of look at it as like. I am asking money from somebody else. So the in, the power equation is all shifted. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that many investors will never admit it. They'll be like, no, no, no. Like, do you have any idea how much leverage founders have? And I'm like, no, that's not true. Because I've seen people walk in and kind of like investors walk in and uh, kind of play the upper hand in the power game. And you are at this place where you're asking for money. So you have to go through this whole thing. You have an hour. And uh, I think... When you come in, to your point, I fully agree with get to the point quickly. Like, who are you? Who's here with you? I think it's important to think about who comes to the fundraising meeting with you uh, as a founder. Because if it's your co-founding team, that's great. I've sometimes seen like five, six, seven people show up in a fundraising meeting. um, And I'm like so confused because it takes 15, 20 minutes to get through the introductions Uh, And then I have to understand dynamics of people. Who does what? Uh, Did they join later? Did they join now? Who who started with this? Whose idea is it? Sometimes it's worse because they all start disagreeing with each other or cutting each other off. And it's just wild. I'm sure you've seen examples of this too. Here are some. uh, This this episode is going to be all the don'ts, I think. Uh, But uh, so, okay, here are some big don'ts. Do not bring other investors to a meeting. Okay, so uh, I, 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 I feel like I would tell other investors. Wait a second, what? That happens quite often. Like somebody would would suddenly have uh, another investor, and immediately in the Zoom meeting, you're trying to figure out why is the other person there, right? And yeah. Because uh, because why I, are they there? I don't understand uh, it. For a few reasons, um, you know, sometimes they kind of put the company together. Maybe they are famous. Uh, maybe just have a say. And there are huge issues with having other investors, right? First of all. The CEO has to be the voice and face of the company, right? Yeah. The moment you have another investor, right? Immediately, you are trying to figure out, okay, who is actually, you know, calling the shots? Who is yeah. actually, you know, in charge of this process? And very often, I've seen these dynamics where, and and look, 
uh, a lot of these cases, you know, these can be overcome. At the end of the day, you know, every company has a lot of great things going for it, a lot of things which are working against it. So it's just like a little bit of a scorecard. But if you have another investor in the room, it's kind of confusing as to, okay, uh, what is their role? What are they trying mm -hmm. to do? And I would say empirically, there are zero meetings where I've seen that other person add value. The other issue yeah. I would say is if you have multiple people, first of all, it has to be the incredibly core co-founding team. Now, if you do have incredibly core co-founding team and you say everyone is equal, everyone has to be there. So if, for example, if you're like a equal co-founders or three equal co-founders, it's probably bad if, you don't, if you're only one person because you're gonna, the VC is gonna look at the cap table and go like, these two other people are equal, we wanna meet them also. Uh, okay, right. so first of all, the if, you, if there are equal leaders in the company, it's important to have them all out there. But what is a common mistake I've seen is, is if the whoever is considered the CEO or whoever is considered the face has to really do a lot of the talking, has to really be the real face of the company. Yeah, mm -hmm. One dynamic I would see is you would have somebody who is the CEO uh, in title, but somebody else would have all the power and they would take over the entire questioning, which is fine. You know, I think those companies sometimes do work out. But as a VC, you're trying to, you're trying to figure out who is actually making the decisions? Like who is actually yeah. in charge? Because a lot of these things, you're just trying to figure out, okay, let's say we invest and we partner with these people for many, many, many years. How is that partnership going to look like? Who am I going to interact with? Who is running the company? That's often what I'm trying to figure out in a 45 minute meeting. So yeah. TLDR is um, you want to have a small set of people in the room, hopefully yeah. the founder, co-founders, or you know, who actually make decisions. And if you have a CEO, that person has to run the meeting. Yeah. Okay. I agree with all of that. Um, the other thing, so, you know, like I was saying, um, you bring, bring in your co-founding team. You have about an hour. This is high pressure, high stakes. Uh, you sit down, you start, get to it, right? Like get to the point. Who are you? Why are you here? What does your company do? Like, what does it really do? Don't be like, we are going to solve this like totally abstract, whatever problem in 20 years. Like, that's great. Like, it's great that you have a vision, but um, you really have to get to the specifics of what does your company do today or what have you done so far and get to it really fast. No, I actually disagree. Um, I actually disagree with that. Okay. What do you mean? Um, because I think, uh, well, I don't disagree with that completely, but I think I disagree with how a lot of people interpret this. I think what a lot of people wind up doing is they come in and they say immediately, hey, we are tackling this X market, right? Like, you know, okay, yeah. well, I don't know, what is a market that is maybe no longer relevant today, maybe it was 20 years ago, right? Like we are tackling, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, like uh, 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 e Ethernet hardware for the early 2000s. Nobody's hopefully working on this today. If you are, uh, you know, I apologize, but I'm also kind of curious, but okay. So you're coming in and you're, you're saying that, yeah. but I don't think that's the first question I'm trying to figure out. I obviously have, okay, I actually know what the company is doing. I'm trying to figure out a, who you are. And I'm trying to figure sure. out what you're trying to build. But there's a very important piece I'm trying to figure out before traction, right? Which is, what is your connection totally. to this? I idea? get it. I understand. But look, I think here is the thing. Um, you keep saying that this whole like addressable market, total addressable market, how big can it get is not important. Eight out of 10 times, an investor would tell us like, but how big can this get? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the size of this thing? So, um, it's very hard to go in into the room to understand or to psychoanalyze this investor to be like, what would they want yeah. kind of thing. So what I've often seen founders do, and I actually think this is a bad thing for founders, is to take a pithy slide deck that is like a C slide deck or a series A slide deck and retrofit your story into those slides. Mm -hmm. 
because somebody has told you, maybe like an angel investor you've worked with, somebody else who's like, you know, wants to help you is like, here is the perfect slide deck uh, that Airbnb used or whatever used. And if you use this slide deck and this template, you will also be able to raise the money mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that is really bad for you. Maybe it works, but oftentimes you can retrofit your story and uh, what your company does into this exact template. It probably doesn't work. And two, you're going to have these like, should I tell this like addressable marketing? Should I talk about the team first? Like, you know, you kind of get lost in the weeds of like, where do you, what level of abstraction or what level of detail you should go into. Uh And the thing I've noticed really that happens in pitch meetings is for the first 20, 30 minutes, the investors are just listening, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, They're not saying a word. They're not asking questions. They're not doing anything. And this is, you know, they're truly just want to listen and not interrupt and not cut you off and do any of that. So it's a good thing. But you as a founder has no idea. There is no mm-hmm. signal on how it's going, right? You're just like, should I spend 10 more minutes on this slide? Should I move to the next slide? And oftentimes I've seen founders would basically like start pleading towards like fifth, sixth, seventh slide being like, if you have any questions, please feel free to interrupt. If you have, and, and the, there is this weird dynamic between the investor and the founder where they're like, I don't want to interrupt. I just want you to get to yeah, it. I, I, okay, I, I can give you the super short answer for this, right? Which is yeah. VCs, especially good ones, they are doing this day in and day out. They know how to interrupt, right? Like, you know, yeah. if they have something to say, if they want you to stop, uh, which sometimes people would do, and you want to switch or you want to ask something else, or you want to clarify, you want to switch to a demo, any number of things, yeah. they will know how to cut you off. Right. Um, and uh, in most cases, you you just want to get your storytelling out. Uh, yeah, and exactly. Because yeah, I think I it, it get, to your point, uh, to my to my point of like trying to fill out the coat hanger and all these pillars, you just, you just want to get the story out because I'm just trying to fill all the coat hangers and try and figure all of this out. Yeah, I get that. Um, I agree with that. I think uh, so. Basically, in this time frame, your story, your team, what are you doing? What's the overall, like, what are you trying to go solve for? What are you starting with? Do you have traction? If yes, what does it look like? What are the questions you're trying to deal with right now? Also talk about the round, talk about the specifics of it. Sometimes I'll see founders who will be like, well, we are fundraising, but not really fundraising. We just thought there is like this thing, you know, we got like a lot of interest. So we thought maybe we should fundraise. Like they will try and project that they are like a little too cool to be here. Um, or they'll be like, we didn't really want to go fundraise, but you know, our like previous investors told us like, this might be a good time. So if you're interested, maybe, but really we are just going back to, and I'm like, stop, stop, don't do that. You're here, you're fundraising, say that you're fundraising. This is the term, this is the round. Be honest. Uh, Don't try and sound cool. Don't try and like project fake power. Like you don't have to do all of that. Look, uh, I will say this after doing this and being a founder, and, and also being this angel investor, you as a founder actually have a ton of power. Uh, you're building something, you are operating, you are actually truly trying to go, you know, build a product and, you know, hopefully do have like a dent in the universe. And there's a as cliche as it sounds. People want to be you. People want to know you. People want to figure out how to help you. Like the, you know, at least in Silicon Valley, there is very much this like force that wants you to go succeed, right? So you have a lot of power going into this. Given that, 
you can go in being honest. You can go in being confident. You can go in being very specific about what you know, what you're trying to figure out, what the challenges are, how you want to go solve it, how this fundraise is going to help you, what are you going to do with the money, all of it. Like you can lay it out. I would not worry about it diminishing yourself in any way. I would also not worry about it being too secretive that you can't share kind of thing. Yeah. Um, competition or your company is not going to get, what, what's the term for it? Companies don't die by um, homicide. Companies die by suicide, yeah. right? And and this and this is kind of true because I think it's not about like, oh, who's going to read these slides and figure it out and do the exact same thing. At, at that earlier stage, I don't think that's going to be your challenge. I think it is really going to be about like, are you getting the point across? Are you being really clear enough to like tell your story that you will now be able to fundraise and fundraise quickly and effectively and run a process and get back to work so that you can continue to go ship stuff. Yeah, which I think, by the way, there's a few things there. One is I have seen zero companies have trouble or die because, you know, some other competitor or someone else got hold of the slide deck, which, by the way, no serious VC would ever do because it would kill the reputation. It's just not the way the business is done. Um, right. But zero companies, I, I have definitely seen companies struggle to raise capital because they did not communicate the thing they were actually trying to do. They were too secretive. And VCs are like, okay, I don't know what is actually happening. Okay, that's one. The other part of your power dynamic thing is very true. Like you have to understand and, you know, at the end of the day, and I know this doesn't feel that way for a founder and Arthi has kind of gone through this and it's very stressful. Uh, and so has Ben and Mark and all these others. But uh, a job of a venture capitalist is to give you money. There's a great Don Valentine quote where he would look around the table in the early days of, at, I think, Sequoia Capital. And he would say, like, we are paid to make investments, right? We are not yeah. paid to say no. So at the end of the day, you know, you're talking to somebody whose job it is to invest in either you or someone like you. And if they don't for a long period of time, they will not have their job anymore. I know it doesn't feel that way. And I know why it's not maybe exactly that way. But yeah. you do have a lot of power. Um, I think there's a few, maybe kind of, Let's see. There's a few basic things I think we should get over. Um, so yeah. I like the coat hanger analogy because I do think a lot of pitches, uh, uh, when I talk to from my founders and I'm helping them raise the next round of capital or uh, you know, or when, when we talk to angels or when we try to help people, they sometimes fail at this. Uh, and I try and help guide them and I know you try to help guide them. So you want to kind of communicate the basics, which is who are you, uh, what are you building, traction. There's another key emotional component, which I think is very important which is, one is, why are you building this? And uh, uh, because you, know, you are basically trying to say, hey, I'm going to work on this company for several years. Mm -hmm. And that is a combination of market opportunity inside, but there has to be a personal tie to it. And if anybody's ever talked to me, you would definitely hear me ask uh, 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 them, hey, why are you working on this? What motivated you? And the answer could be anything. There is no right answer. It could be you went through a brainstorming process. You had 30 different ideas and you picked one. This is what Apurva of Instacart did, right? Sometimes there's a life's work and you've been working this 10 years. This is the last, the greatest version of it. Also great. But I'm trying to figure out like, why are you doing this? Uh, so which I think often sometimes people forget uh, because I'm trying to understand your emotional connection uh, to this company, especially in the early stages. The other thing which I think is very important to demonstrate, and I think this is from Chris Dixon, is the idea maze. So often mm -hmm. in the earliest stages, uh, the actual idea is less important if you're a seed company uh, or sometimes even a Series A company, um, depending on the amount of capital you're trying to raise. It is not, uh, people are judging you less, a good visa judging you less on the actual idea. They're judging you more on have you done the work in understanding the space super deeply. 
Um, and the way the idea may, uh, and the reason that is important is startups change, pivot, markets change, pivot, products work, don't work. Um, and if you have actually have done the work and gone through the maze of you know potential solutions to arrive at this thing, when things change, you're probably better equipped to tackle that also. And this, by the way, it's really, really hard to fake. Uh, but it is also very easy to not communicate. So, which is why you know, so it's hard to fake because let us say, for example, you know, uh, let you know, you know, let's say somebody has a hot new LLM company, um, you know, um, at the topic of the moment, and they're coming and pitching a bunch of investors. Like, if you if you're not spent years in this space, you know, it is it'd be very hard to fake it. Uh, mm. If you're not has spent years on the front lines building these models and training them and understanding all the issues that uh, come up, uh, so you can't fake it. It would be very easy to not communicate that. And who knows how these companies evolve, what happens technology and the hardware, you're probably better equipped. So I would say communicating A, team, B, what you're building, traction, if you have traction, but also very importantly, how you have solved the idea maze, why you are this, your emotional connection is very important. But... I guess the question for you is how do you communicate the idea maze? Mm -hmm. Like a part of it is like, I started with this, I worked on this, like it, there is this whole story behind it, right? So how would you suggest, like, unless you play 20 questions, how do you communicate that you've actually gone through the idea maze? Uh, lots of ways to do it, but I think the easiest, the two paths I would say, one is to tell it in a chronological order, which is like, hey, I started thinking about this idea X. And yeah. you know, my, this is my original idea. And the way I tried to validate is I tried hacking on this. And I knew mm -hmm. X and Y pathways were wrong because I'd already had experience here. I knew Z pathway was interesting. And I looked at these other companies and I think they're wrong, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of very, very quickly start traversing down this thing of how you thought about everything. And Mark Andreessen likes to say that uh, it's very easy to say who has solved the idea maze because uh, the founder can't stop themselves from answering questions and they want to answer more questions, right? So you, as a right. VC, you just ask them, like, what about these folks? What about this approach? And they're like, oh yeah, let me tell you why that's a bad idea, right? Or wait, let me wait, let me tell you, like, we thought about that, but you know, we think it's good, but we think this has some, so you just like, it's so hard to fake it the moment you get one or two levels of depth onwards, uh, uh, yeah. downwards, so that's one. The other way I would say is just kind of like, okay, here's how I see the market, right? I see the market because here are the big players, here are the key technologies. I think the, and, and you kind of start going down and it's often a conversation and all the best VCs would ask you questions, which is very, honestly, the it's less about, most of the time when you have an idea, the venture capitalists, unless you're very, very deep in the space, which is another topic we should get to about picking the right venture capital, but often yeah. they don't know the space as well as you do. By definition, yeah. you've been spending years yeah. working on this. You spend all that. Yeah. We yeah. don't know it as well as you do, right? So yeah. um, and so we are not often equipped to judge the idea. But what we're very, very well equipped to do is to judge your understanding of the idea because that's what VCs do in day in and day out. So yeah. and what I would try and encourage founders to do is to try and explain the thought process of why you pick this approach, this market, this product, all the alternatives you rejected, other potential competitors or uh, peers who are in there, which brings you another very, very interesting point, which is uh, like, I think sometimes founders have the idea that they should project only strength. And they say, we have no competition. We have no weakness in our approach. That is by definition not true, right? If you have no competition and no weaknesses, like, you know, you're either it, one, you're an incredibly amazing market that nobody has discovered, and congratulations to you and the VCs meeting you because you're both going to make a ridiculous amount of money. Or in most mm -hmm. cases, you're just wrong, right? Which is bad. Or you're being somewhat 
not off completely honest, which is bad mm-hmm. because the other side, the VCs, either in the meeting or later when they do some homework, they will figure that out. So, and by the way, VCs know this. There's no company which does not have competition or spaces. Or yeah, that but kind of- how? What's the amount that you would cover competition? Like, I sometimes worry that founders overthink the competition bit, and I've seen like two, three slides just talking about like. This company is a competitor, but they are shit because of this. This company is competitor because they're terrible, but because of these. And I'm like, okay, okay, but can we just switch back to it? But I kind of have the opposite problem. So what's a good amount to go cover? Um, I think a few minutes for sure. I think you should definitely check off the key, uh, the the obvious questions, right? Uh, 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 I don't know. Like for example, if you are in a space, why are you? How are you going to do better than the market leaders in the space, right? How are you going sure. to uh, compete better with the maybe the hot company that has gotten all the press? And I think those things are just very, very important to point out. And uh, uh, I think Vinod Khosla has his good talk on fundraising, which I highly recommend people watch. And he says a great example of a lot of this just have the good backup slides. So that's like yeah. a good example. So you don't need the slides in there. But if somebody asks you, hey, what do you think about technology approach X or company Y or space Y? You, you don't need to talk about it then, but you're like, oh, I have a slide for this. And well, honestly, whatever's in that slide is maybe less interesting than actually proving that, oh, you actually thought about this, right? Like, and I don't know whether you're right or wrong, but at least the fact that you thought about it gives me confidence you actually know what you're talking about most times. Yeah. I think that is uh, very important. But I think the idea is, it's an example of proof of work. Like when you have these conversations, it is so hard to fake. It is so hard to like, if you've done the homework, it shows across. If you've not done the homework, it shows yeah. across. And I would just yeah. encourage you to just be really authentic and honest because you don't want to get caught out. It's very easy yeah. to get caught out on these things um, and sort of fake project power, fake project confidence. Yeah, I think the thing that I learned and the mistake I made when I was fundraising was that while I was fundraising, when investors would ask me questions at this traditional like IDMA's set of questions. Hey, how did you come up with this? But what about these guys? But how do you solve for this problem? What about scale? What about, you know, and I would treat it almost like a test, you know, as like a, did I pass that question? Did I pass this other question? Did I pass that? And I would like kind of feel like they were putting me on a spot and questioning me. But I think the right approach is what you said, which is, you are the expert in the room. Nobody here knows this company as well as you do. You built this to, this 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 thing, right? This whole startup. So for you, um, you should kind of look at it as like you a way to tell your story and way to like kind of enforce your legitimacy and expertise through these series of questions. So you the the way to think about it is like these folks are doing you a favor in that they're making it very easy for you to explain why you are the authority in this whole thing, right? And it's like a subtle shift in your head and stop seeing it as like a question, answer, check, you pass that test and more about like, I am the expert, let me tell you how I figured out how this whole thing works mm-hmm. kind of thing. And uh, and I think uh, that also helps you, one, really engage with the investors in a way which is like less about the fundraising part, but more about like you actually telling them this business and this concept, because that's going to help you down the road too. Um, but two, you you will automatically as a founder have a lot more energy and excitement and power uh, if you come from a place of they are being curious and I am going to go tell them. Yes. As opposed to they are asking me a question and I need to pass that test. Yes, and it's so energy is such a key part of this. Like somebody asked me, forgetting tech, right? Somebody asked me about professional wrestling, right? I get out with 20 minutes. It's hard, so hard for me to fake that energy, right? Like on the other hand, yeah. if you ask me about something I absolutely do not care about, 
it's you can also tell so is that energy and the uh, the passion for it is such an important intangible again a lot of times in the vc other side is you're just trying to judge the founders grasp of the space and the idea and their relationship to it as opposed to their idea itself especially in the earlier stages where so much of the investing just purely uh, based on our team now maybe yeah. this is interesting segue to the team now yeah. uh people ask me what do you put on the team slide what do you have etc right and uh look obviously if you're like hey i hired uh i have mark zuckerberg i have jeff dean from google i have john carmack yeah great you know, you know like first of all if you have that send me an email i'll send you back a term sheet but most people don't have that and uh and i think what what they try and do is they would have a world class team slide and mm-hmm. as a vc you're going okay i get it you know but but you what you're trying to figure out is like two things one is is this person able to hire right uh, and convince people are they able to convince somebody to leave their job at a google or facebook and join them are they able to convince a childhood friend to take the plunge are they if it's like the latest stage series a are they able to convince like you know a vp of revenue or a vp of engineering or whatever the case may be so you're trying to set a test of that the other thing you're trying to figure out is do they understand the kind of team they need to put together right for example a very very common case would be your very technically proficient team who is building a very technically challenging product but mm-hmm. there is a very complicated enterprise sales process that they need to go through now it is perfectly okay to be like hey i either don't have an enterprise sales person or i going to learn this stuff myself those are all perfectly valid answers what is maybe slightly not so great is if you don't have an understanding of i am missing this part of the puzzle right um and that's not good because it says it tells the vc that hey there's whole other thing that you should know about that you haven't thought about at all it's very different say hey, i'll think about it later uh, even if you have no traction no money i'll think about it later i'll bring in these people later these are missing pieces that is 100% okay that is a fantastic answer what is not so great is if you have no idea and you're trying to fake it yeah and that is often not so awesome and fake it or, or like get into this this detailed argument sometimes you've seen they're being like i don't think i need uh, whatever like this person yeah. i don't need i i don't think i need a sales person because the product's going to speak for itself 15 minutes later they're still fighting on how they think they don't need a sales person yeah. which part of it feels like okay yeah you're really passionate about it but part of it is like okay but you know like we i think we're just trying to tell you that you have this enterprise sales motion and you're missing this like key person here well i i actually think i actually well i think sometimes we see like to fake argue in the sense mm-hmm. that they're going to tell you something which they themselves don't really believe in or to challenge you to see how you react Uh, yeah. and uh there is no right or wrong answer to this right this really goes back yeah. to showing up professor what you really need to show off is you've thought about this and you yeah, have exactly. you and so for example the vcs go say like hey have you thought about barketex or approach why right uh first of all the odds of some venture capitalists in the meeting on the fly having a better idea than you are low uh, okay because you've done the homework but it you should be like well yes we did and the reasons why that thing does not apply to us or blah 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 um and so you want to you know i think that's what you want to be proficient often which is very famously wrong when they do some of this like uh and you know they try and push a founder into a space that they absolutely should not should not have like a lot of for example on yeah. vc side to push mark zuckerberg in advertising when he didn't need to so a lot of great example yeah. of them being very wrong but uh, i think smart vcs like to see you have a point of view and defend it and you know and have the 
have the logic tree, the work, want to be open to it. You can be, hey, I haven't thought about it. But, you know, we're focusing on X and Y. We have limited resources, but I can definitely see us being open to that. Or I have thought about it, and here's why. And that's, I mean, mostly answers uh, uh, live there. Uh, somewhere yeah, in that makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, got it. Um, let's talk about the the part about knowing the investors ahead of time, right? Um, the way I look at it is, as a founder, when you're fundraising, one, you have to time it. And when I say timing, it's about you know market dynamics. Where are you in the fundraise cycle? There are cohorts of hot companies or hot spaces. Like right now, it's all it's AI. You can definitely tell that there is like heat and momentum there. Uh, so one is like, where are you? Where's your company fitting in in the whole cycle of fundraising, investing, all of that? But two, how much runway do you have or do you need? When do you need to go fundraise and figuring that out? But once, say, you know the time timing, as a founder, you're going to have to run a process. Um, and a process here to me is a very tactical set of steps that you need to go follow to be able to successfully fundraise. Um, at the end of the day, the success criteria is money in the bank so you can get back to work, right? Uh, preferably money in the bank at favorable terms uh, where you know both sides feel like they're in this and they're helping you win. Uh, and you can go back to work. So for you to get to that process, reverse engineer all the way from there, how much in advance do you need to know the players in this process? But in this case, like investors, right? Like let's say you're doing a series A round. You've done a seed round before. Seed round was all like, say maybe just angels and that kind of thing. This is the first time you're doing a VC fundraise. So I guess Shriram, for you, question is, how far in advance should a founder go build a relationship with investors? With like when I say investors, in this case, I mean venture capitalists. Um, I have a controversial view here, uh, and obviously, there's a caveat of everything is working great. You don't need this, obviously, but I, I think the investments are a two-way relationship, and for most people, relationships happen because it's a function of time. You observe behavior, you observe uh, how they act under various circumstances. For for uh, founder to an investor and an investor back to the founder. And mm -hmm. so the more you have over that, the more data points people have over a period of time, the better your chances of both parties converging on reality. So mm -hmm. if you're, uh, so which is why I really hate the whole, uh, you know, let's run a very quick process, meet somebody over 24 hours and close it. That absolutely works, a lot of people do it. We, I've done investments that way, a lot of, other, a lot of people do great investments that way. But what I really enjoy a lot more is somebody just known to me over a period of time. And mm -hmm. often you're meeting outside the context of a fundraising. It's like meeting somebody outside the context of a date. And you're getting to know them a little bit and you have a chat and nobody's fundraising. And you're like, oh, these people are working X and Y. And then three months later, they're like, oh, they say they're going to work on Y and they actually made some progress on Y. And yeah. um, in an ideal scenario, you're not even fundraising. The, you know, very good VCs, they'll try and do a preempt, which is they'll try and get you to raise capital from them even before you're thinking of fundraising. And and so these are often better because one, you get to observe the venture capitalists in how they sort of low pressure situations when they're not just trying to evaluate you and sell the firm back to you. The second is as a VC, you get to observe the founder over points in time. Oh, they said they're gonna do this, that didn't work, they did mm -hmm. this. And so when you actually have a pitch meeting, um, you ideally have like a year's amount of data on the founder. Mm -hmm. And because you as an investor, often for example, it may be a, you're, this may not necessarily need to be like, you know, the partner who, who actually invested, it could be somebody junior. Like you need to help them make the case to sometimes their partners too. 
a lot of firms have very very different structures uh sometimes the individual partner uh is all it takes to invest which is how my firm works but a lot of times you need like consensus but most times you know people just want to have their partners also brought along like you don't want to be like doing always a thing where like nobody else agrees with you that does happen but it's much easier even like oh everyone's like oh i'm i'm super happy for you that you're doing this investment because you've been talking about it for a while great job we totally get it so you want all to help that we see make the case to their partnership mm-hmm. as to why they should invest in you and that, i think that also happens over time so anyway so tldr i think more meetings over time uh, are useful obviously there's a limit to how, how many ta- how much time you want to spend uh doing these meetings instead of just building the process itself um the key bits are and i'm curious to get your take on it because you've actually done the process uh several times and you've seen the other side of it you have to start with one doing your homework so list out all the vcs right who are and you categorize in a few ways right one is the stage of company you're at who are the people who focus on the stage the sector you are in um either uh, who do that sometimes they're generalist like you know for all the top tier firms you see generalist or there's a specific firm which kind of absolutely focuses on your space if there is uh you know such a thing uh third is uh, one way to do that is just kind of like look at all the tech press or you look at competition you see who has funded them you kind of build a map of all the people then you figure out okay who are the people in those spaces that you want to go reach uh, who are they who are the partners who are the associates or the junior people what are they written you build a map of what are the frameworks who is interesting you know, who is active making investments third you should build absolutely a map of who can get you to that person okay so uh, who is a great warm introduction uh, to that person i would strongly recommend that you never ever cold mail a vc uh, because uh, those rarely work uh, uh and uh, uh just because uh ben ben orbit has this kind of great line where if you're going to compete with you know a mark zuckerberg or elon musk um you know how are we going to do it if you can't even get a warm introduction to a vc and the amazing thing about silicon valley is that introductions are ridiculously easy to come by because uh that's how the system works that's how the community works people know this how it works it's they understand the karma and the long term nature of this game so it should be in a lot of cases not so much work work if you're credible if you're building something interesting to find one hop away right find the angel follow them on twitter start dming with them you know send them a note of what you're building take a meeting and then few months when you're looking to fund it you're like hey i want an introduction to x and y who i know you are close to so uh do not do this without a warm introduction because no vc will take you seriously cold they do take meetings but the you just hurting the odds uh, uh you know being in your favor do the warm introduction when you do the warm introduction get your the person make the introduction arm them with the material right tell them like hey this is what i want you to say write the email x and y this is their background you know make the case for them so send the email they send it and uh and then you hopefully line these up over like a short period of time uh, a lot of people you know and you i want to get your take on this entire topic but a lot of people say you should do the the lesser important meetings maybe the people maybe who are like less likely to invest as kind of a test run because it obviously takes reps to get this right before you really get to the people you really hope are investing but anyway that's kind of yeah. the basics but you've done this a few times walk me talk about the emotions talk about the process from your side yeah i mean i think most of what you say is kind of what typically happens i think at least in silicon valley companies right um one when you say start a process you figure out want well, put together the deck like spend time putting together the deck you know i often i sometimes people will be like oh we don't have a deck or all those guys raise without a deck why should we raise a deck or you sometimes find on twitter somebody being like i built uh, x companies without ever doing a slide deck i guess it works kind of thing 
don't do that like put together a deck uh spend the time just honing your pitch i think it's important to put in the work uh again if you're like one of these like super super outlier companies great hooray for you but chances are you're probably not there yet right and so you you want to like do that so put together a deck invest some time in it don't start putting the deck as you're starting the process like don't do that like spend some time honing it um if you already have angel investors pitch them first again get feedback from them like do dry runs with them so that uh you know when it's like the the game time like the real pitches you have a bunch of practice and you'll also catch all the obvious things that you've left out which there are going to be a few mm-hmm. um and so you can do that so if you have a cohort of you know advisors people who you trust uh angel investors whoever run the pitch by yeah. them and get them to also like put you in touch with like other friends or other people who've like seen a lot of these pitches like build out your network that way it's almost always easy to um kind of like ask for advice and ask for input when you have like you when you're not asking for money itself directly yeah by the way can i just right? say somebody at an incident a few years ago where somebody took that literally where in a meeting okay. they kept saying i just want your advice i just want your advice oh man and oh, i was man. like i think you want to fundraise we just want your advice Like okay, I'm going to yeah. give you advice. At the end of the meeting, I was like, I, I just wanted to say whether they were actually point or they were trying to fundraise. Uh, but, uh, so somebody, I've seen somebody take this advice literally. So uh, I get it, I get it. But I, sir, I, I also feel like you don't understand how it is to be on the founder sure. side. You get so much like conflicting advice, and uh, you're always like, but this guy said that, but this blog post said that, and this this thing said that, and you're always trying to get the best practices from founders, from your mentors, from angel investors and somehow nothing is ever good enough yes. right and you're in this like really stressful time because these this one hour that you if you if you mess up you're going to go back to your team and look really bad in front of them yes and so like i i think investors often don't realize that there is this whole downstream effect of like doing all of this stuff right and so um it's it's so easy to be like do this thing and say this thing and be confident and all of that but when it's like Yeah, when you're actually doing it, there is so much like stuff that is conflicting for you. Yeah. So you're putting together this process, right? In the deck, uh, I kind of see it as a like concentric circles, right? The outermost circle is like the people who are probably going to pass on you. You kind of know that they're probably not in your domain. Uh, they'll maybe take a meeting, may not even like take a meeting, but you still want to like reach out, right? You kind of have to have these like, and then it gets like hotter and hotter, like the more to the core you get. The innermost ring are the most um direct relevant set of vcs for you right like they are like the protected set of people save them for closer to the end mid to the end because uh practice runs you want to get it right uh you also oftentimes what i've noticed is that set of people will know that you're fundraising what get that's it that's exactly yeah. so true so true i think yeah. if you're in this business such a small business that uh if you're out in the market all the top tier folks or all the folks in your space will absolutely hear about you uh, exactly and so almost often what i've noticed is you will get an email from them through somebody or directly being like i heard your fundraising or another word another way you'll hear from them is like let's catch up it's been a while let's get a coffee you know that they've heard about you right I, I might have and it's that. great yeah. and it's great because now you're not the one asking somebody for a warm intro to go get to them or anything of that sort or you're not the one being like let's catch up and get coffee kind of thing and it's 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 a bit like dating right like you kind of want to like play the process as such 
Um, and so keep the, the core parts for a bit later. And so start with the outer circles. Here is the thing for founders. You will get rejections. A lot of founders get rejected. Most founders get rejected most times. Mm -hmm. All you need is one lead for your round, right? And so the one lead is going to like figure it out, figure out the entire rest of the fundraising. It'll all fall through, fall in for you and work out. But you're going to have to understand that you're going to have to deal with rejection. Yes. And that's okay. Uh, I think a lot of first-time founders have no idea how to deal with people saying no. And uh, oftentimes, and now I've been on the angel side, people will like ping me and be like, but they said they were really interested. They said they were very excited. They said they were like, they asked me about like how much check size the, it takes to go lead the round, what the valuation is. They asked me the terms. They came into my office. They did all the stuff. And then they didn't like write a check. Like what happened, right? One, first of all, that's really bad investor behavior. Yeah. Like you have to kind of like be really honest and upfront about where you really are with respect to how interested you are with this founder versus not. But two, until there is money in the bank, it is a no. It's yeah. not even like a, not every, I think somebody, I, I forget who PG said this. Yeah, this uh, that yes means yes, anything else, yeah. Anything else is a no. I've seen Gary Tan say this, Michael Siebel say this, the YC cohort all believes in this and say this and I believe in it too. I almost see it as like money needs to be in the bank for it to be a yes. It doesn't yeah. even matter, all the others. I think it's exciting. <laughs> I, um, I think it's, okay, this is probably the best part of the segment, what you just said, uh, the whole podcast, what you just said. I think it is possible uh, to have both things be true at the same time because I think Aarti and I talk about this a lot at home because fundraising usually sucks and there is no way you're going to get a no without it being so personal, right? Like yeah. they're rejecting you, they're rejecting like, well, it is so freaking personal and intense and Aarti talks about a lot. The other hand, the other part which I know to be true is when a VC does not invest in you, there are a lot of reasons they don't invest, which has absolutely nothing to do with you, okay? Uh, because, you know, sometimes they, they don't have enough money left in their fund. Maybe they just invest in a competitor. Maybe, uh, uh, you, you know, they, they you know, you, you're talking to a junior person who does not have enough pull with the partnership. There are like N different reasons why uh, they haven't chosen to invest in you now, which how you know, which obviously they're rejecting you, but it, it, it is not like a rejection of you. They just couldn't put the pieces together at that yeah. moment to pull the yeah. trigger. And I sort of know both to be true, but I think the first part, and I think you said something which is so powerful, and I actually forget, you know, I think some people, sometimes people in my job forget, it's like the CEO has to go back to the team and basically admit that they messed up. And that is such a, yeah. a hard spot to be in. I think sometimes VCs really forget that too. No, it's true because I have to now go back and tell my founding team who quit like really amazing jobs and came here to be like, hey, I don't know if we can make payroll next month or whatever, right? Like it's such a hard position to be in. And sometimes I think investors don't get it. Um, I think the other thing I've seen some investors do is to just ghost, right? Yeah. Um, and it's okay to get, it's best case scenario and A16Z I would say does a really good job of it. Uh, when they pass, they will be honest about it and they will give you a huge write-up on why they passed and what they need to see for them to be able to invest. Like, it's not just why they passed, it's also like future state, what should it look like uh, and all of that. And uh, I, that is like best case scenario for me. If you're rejecting, you know, at least I want to know why exactly and what I need to be doing. The mid-tier case for me is like, they would say no 
And the reasons are like, we will cheer you on the sidelines, blah, blah, blah. It's like this like bullshit reason. And you're like, well, I, I don't believe you. Like, you know, they would just say something which they knew very early on. Yeah. The first meeting they knew, but they would say that was the reason. And I know they are lying. Yeah. Whatever. You can but get I, them off. That's something I think there's a problem here. Instead, forget the top terms, firms, right? Because I think sometimes the top firms have a power dynamic where the founders know, okay, if you don't invest in this round, we'll come back next round, et cetera. But some of the other early stage investors or an angel, I think there's fear now. That if you actually tell the founder what you think, like 10 years from now, if you're wrong, that is going to be the email that somebody pulls up on Twitter and say like, F that guy, you know, he was wrong and now I'm going IPO. So there is a real fear in actually telling founders what you think. But I almost think that's okay. Like if you look at like some companies have actually like taken this upon themselves as like a badge of honor, almost like the anti-portfolio, where they kind of like say it as like, you know, we missed, we missed out on these guys. We missed out on these guys. I actually like those VCs. Uh, but but I actually, kind of, look, I would say I've seen so many examples. You know, look, Bessemer does a great job of the anti-portfolio yeah. page. Uh, and I love that. But a lot of times you would see uh, somebody who would send a note and they'd be like, hey, I don't agree with your business model, right? Or maybe sometimes we just don't get it, right? Like a lot of yeah. VCs pass in the seed, sound, seed round of Airbnb because they yeah. thought, hey, I don't want to sleep on someone else's couch. I don't get it. And if you sent, and of course, Brian Jeske would not have, did not do this. Uh, I think Fred Wilson was amazing and actually posting his email uh, about it. But sometimes you can imagine a VC here like, hey, if I send this person, I just don't think somebody is going to do this. And I am wrong, right? I'm going to look like a, one, like if the company actually works out and I need to invest in future rounds, they are absolutely going to let me. As opposed to if I just sent some, you know, green, like, oh, we couldn't really come to terms on this, but I'm going to cheer you on, blah, blah, blah. One of these kind of safe emails. Or mm -hmm. worse, that is going to be the first screenshot when the company goes public and I'm going to look like a total idiot. I don't know. I, I would rather just ha have them be honest because the VC relationship is like long term, right? Like one, this is not the only round. There yeah. are going to be many rounds. It's a small network. Uh, there'll be other companies. You know, if this founder is successful, they probably, you know, founders tend to do more companies, right? You want to have a good relationship with them. But for me, that's a mid-tier scenario. The worst case for me, well, actually, the the one of the worst cases for me is like they'll just ghost, yeah, that's right? Bad. And that's completely inexcusable. If you've been an investor, the founders put in so much energy talking to you, pitching you, basically like showing you the metric, showing you the dashboard, like showing whatever, right? Like introducing you to the team, like doing all of that. Don't ghost. Like have the decency of at least showing up and being like, sorry, we just couldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. Like say some bullshit excuse, but don't ghost. Yeah. The worst, absolute, absolute worst case for me is bad behavior. Um, I've seen pitch meetings where the investor would just yell um, and... Uh, or say something really rude, or just like take things totally out of context, make like a personal remark, or be just like really offensive, all out offensive. And for to those people, you know, one, yeah, YC does this where they actually have this like blacklist of uh, VCs or founder or investors where they'd be like, Do, try not to fundraise from these people. Um, and I think that is good because yeah, I think founders need to know that this cohort exists. But also as an investor, like, what are you thinking? Like, yeah. why would you go do that? Like, why would you just lose your mind in these pitch meetings? By the way, I think we you know who you're talking about. Uh, this is a person, and uh, to that credit, YC absolutely blacklists this person, I think. And I don't, I don't think, I mean, I, I, don't, I would think over time, these people get weeded out, but it's absolutely terrible. And in some ways, I think the uh, uh, A16Z, and I think hopefully some of the other top firms, like, they, they try and avoid that behavior. Uh, you know what, on the past note, on when you explain to founder why you're not investing, what I've tried to do, um, and debatable how successful people have listened, got from me, should be the judge of that, is I've tried to at least explain my thinking. And I said, like, okay, this is what I think. 
Um, and maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you know, if I'm wrong, great. I will, you know, we are obviously a multi-stage firm, so we can make up for those mistakes and uh, invest next time. But I'm at least trying to give you, like, here's my thinking. Here's yes, I'm exactly. going to give you my coat hanger of thoughts, and you can feel free to think I'm a total idiot or you think I'm right. Uh, but at least I think that hopefully gives a founder something to work with next time where they're like, okay, VCs think this way or Sriram thinks that way. Uh, that person is wrong. I can prove this way or if I get this metric or maybe, you know, Sriram is obviously going to think that way so he's not the right person for me. And that all sometimes happens too. Right. Probably. So right. uh, this actually, right. but this whole thing is a fascinating topic. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. What else? Uh, I think, yeah, okay. I think we're getting to the end of times, the end of this episode now. Um, I think, you know, I wanted to wrap it up with this. Um being a founder is hard. Like you know this. Uh you're in this in the weeds of it. It's lonely because you feel like you're the one who's not somehow making it. Everybody else somehow you look at Twitter, you look at wherever, everyone's somehow like crushing it. They're crushing it without a deck, they're crushing fundraising, they're hiring all these like super short, like super hot shot people. Uh, and you're the one who feels like you're failing all the time, right? Um I want you to know that you're not alone. Most people are actually in your camp. Uh, part of it is just like the 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 PR scheme of things where you almost like want to say all the positive things so that positive things happen to you kind of thing. Uh, or people assume that, you know, uh, things are going much better than they really are. But we know being a founder is really hard. Um, for fundraising, there is no, this is the right set of things to go do. There are like systems and there are these like helpful techniques but what is your story is uniquely yours. And you're going to have to go figure out how to go tell that story in the best possible way. Only you can. Uh, and so it's very easy to get inundated by advice on here is how the deck should look like. Here is how. And, you know, what for women, I've seen like, this is what you wear. This is what you say. And you're like, don't know. It's your story. It's your pitch. Like you kind of have to like own it. So you have a lot more authority and control than you think you do. You have to be confident about it. But if there is any way we can help, mm. send us a note. You know, I this is something I love doing. I personally invest a bunch of time helping founders. Um, whether I'm fundraising or not, I will at least like connect you with the right people. I would look through the deck. I would like listen to the pitch. And I've done this. I've been terrible at fundraising. I've gotten really good at fundraising. And so I've been through this whole spectrum of journeys. And so uh, I would love to help you. And same with Shiram, he literally does this for a living. That's true. So <laughs> send him a note or send me a note and we would just love to like be helpful in any way we can. Yes, I, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, that's fantastic. I love it. Okay, and if you, if you really, really ask Arthi, well, she'll tell you who that really terrible VC was, right? Like, uh, yeah. baby. Uh, but anyway, this is a fantastic episode. We should do more of this. Well, thank you so much for listening as always. But uh, if you have thoughts, questions, uh, send us a note. Uh, this is a topic we get uh, a lot about. But until next time, thank you. Bye. Thank you.